Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to today's worship. I'm glad to have you here. As always, let me remind you as we are gathering for worship to communicate with us for your prayer concerns, for general messages, or to send in your generous financial giving using the different addresses that are printed now on your screen. You may worship online with us anytime you choose, but you also may worship on-site on the campus of the Village Church at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings out on the patio. Today is World Communion Sunday, the first Sunday of October, and so be sure to have your communion elements ready to go as we come toward the close of the service. We are beginning a new grief recovery group that will start on October 14th. If you are grieving the loss of someone you have loved or grieving in some other way and would like to think about becoming part of this very special group, I'd encourage you to email Jan Farley for more information. Her address is on the screen. This coming weekend, October 8th, 9th, and 10th, we will celebrate with Plant With Purpose, one of our primary mission partners, as they have a virtual gala this year. Plant With Purpose helps to teach subsistence farmers about new methods and helps them get back on their feet. They also are involved in reforestation and all for the sake of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping people to have a better life. If you'd like to be part of that gala event, you can go to the address printed on your screen and become part of that very, very different and new but still special way of supporting some of our mission partners who work around the world. The flowers in worship with us today are a gift from Bobby and Frank Capon celebrating today what would have been Helen Downey's 103rd birthday. Helen got to have a hundred birthdays and she was one of the most delightful centenarians you could ever hope to meet. They also have given these to celebrate yours truly's 64th birthday, but that was yesterday. Friends, let's take a moment now to prepare our hearts and minds to worship the living God. Let's focus on these words from the 139th Psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, let's worship the living God. Oh, oh, oh. 
world of such wonderful diversity, we share many things in common, whether we are from Canada or Congolese. We have unity as people and people of God. We also have unity in the fact that at the cross of Jesus, the ground is level. All have sinned, all need redemption, all need forgiveness, and God offers it through Jesus Christ. Let us take a moment in our own heart to pray and then join me in the prayer of confession. Come now before the throne of God's grace. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Good friends, we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. It is both free and it is costly. God's cost. God's price, God's grace to us. It is an amazing love. In Christ Jesus, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Now may the peace of Christ be with you. I encourage you to go out and share that peace with others.
Good morning, Kids Village, and welcome to the month of October. This month, your theme is all about the word integrity. Integrity means that we do the right thing even when no one is watching us. Now, you might be thinking, what does integrity have to do with the fact that our toy kitchen is right behind Miss Chersey? Let me share our story with you all this morning from our preschool room here at the church. Our story this morning is about a man named Daniel and his friends. Daniel and his friends had chosen to not eat or drink of certain foods in order to honor God. Now, they were in a program where they were learning and being taught by different teachers. And as a part of this program, the leaders were saying that Daniel and his friends needed to eat certain foods. Daniel had a choice in that moment. Daniel could say, okay, I'm going to do the right thing and tell them that we're not able to eat these foods because we wanna honor God, or I can be quiet and not say anything and just hope that nothing bad happens. This was a moment where Daniel made the right choice and he had integrity. Daniel said to the leaders, we're not able to eat of those foods, so we hope that you understand because we want God to know that we honor him. This morning, you can see behind me this kitchen. We often play with all kinds of things in here when we're able to be in the classrooms. We play with things like this little piece of pie. Now, pie is something that we eat sometimes, but we don't eat it all the time. Now, you also see this little teacup. Sometimes we have tea or we can have water and water is something that we wanna drink all the time. So even like we have today, there are things that we eat sometimes because we don't wanna to eat too much sugar or eat too much of it and things like water where it's good for us and we wanna drink those a lot. There were choices that Daniel had to make because there were restrictions like that. There were things that they couldn't eat and that God at the time didn't want them to. And Daniel wanted to be faithful to that calling. And we learned through his story that God blessed him in that because they honored God. So be thinking about that this month. How can you use that word integrity by doing the right thing even when no one is watching? Just like Daniel, we have that choice to make and God wants us to honor him in those moments. We miss all of you and we hope that we will see you all again next week. Bye-bye. This is the time in our worship service where we present our prayers to the Lord, our prayers of thanksgiving, our prayers of intercession and petition. I'll offer words on our behalf, and then I'll invite all of us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, you are faithful and true. Your love is steadfast. In a world and with lives that change from one day to the next, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Stir in us a restlessness, not the kind that makes us tired and weary and anxious, but the kind that prompts us to pursue you until we find our rest in you. Keep us in your heart. Grant to us your peace in these troubled times, for you and your word are powerful to calm storms, more than able to vanquish powers and principalities that frustrate or obscure your love, your light for the world. Thank you for hearing our hearts the burdens and cares we carry, that we cast upon your shoulders as we seek your healing power for family, friends, and many others whose bodies, minds, hearts, and souls need mending and strengthening. Comfort all those who grieve, empower the weary and worn, weep with the depressed and anxious, provide for individuals and families who struggle, Students of all grade levels, as they learn in these times, as with their teachers, grant resilience. Visit and dwell in each of our homes, Spirit of the Living God, where sacred hospitality and generous welcome is offered, where in a deeply divided nation, we may come to love neighbor to neighbor, stranger to stranger. We need your sense of love, of justice, of compassion, of kindness more than ever, gracious God. Hear us as we plead to you to frustrate evil, greed, violence, bigotry, pride, and all other vices, sins, and transgressions that obscure your love for us and the love that you call us to extend to all. Strengthen the witness of our congregation and all churches all around the world as we seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all as mission partners here and around the world do the same. Lord, for these prayers, for those we offer in the silence of our hearts, we add to this our hope and our thanks that as you summon us to your sacred table of communion, 
Unite us to you and to all of your people in every time and in every place. Bless the elements of bread and cup, that they may be the communion of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that by it you may strengthen us, that through it we may be nourished. Assured of your promises of our Lord's life, death, and resurrection, and with it we may be your holy people, sealed and sent to do your will in the world. Hear us, we pray, as we pray together those words which Jesus Christ taught his disciples and which he himself prays with us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for. Savior and calls, bring it all to the 
begin our time in the scriptures this morning with a prayer for illumination. Please join me in prayer. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts, and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. First, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And now, a reading from the Gospel according to John. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word of the Lord. We have been thinking together since the beginning of September about the heart of the Christian faith, about what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. We've learned that we have the map to the place to where we're all trying to get in our lives, to that place of blissful happiness and fruitful and productive and joyful life both here and now, as well as in the hereafter. We've learned that we have one person whom we follow so that we can learn that way of life and live into that way of life, Jesus, of course. We've learned that we can start to live that beautiful life in God's beautiful world right now that we can live in a, in a place of peace and joy in our hearts and enjoy so much of what the world has, even in the midst of the pain and suffering. Now, we need to get some other things straight about the Christian faith. If there's one thing that we learn from our history as a church, as, as a movement of people going back a couple thousand years now, and if there's one thing that we learn about ourselves, it's that it's so easy to get off track. It's so easy to become confused. It's so easy to begin to think that we have it all figured out and, and almost go on autopilot. And so I want to talk today about the business of forgiveness. Let's start here. Let's think about how we use the term forgiveness in oh, common parlance, if you will. 
About six, seven months ago, there was a lot of conversation. There still is some in our society about special loans given by the government to businesses of all sizes, loans that were meant to stimulate the economy and keep cash flow going. But then the government promised that those loans would be forgiven. In a sense, they were grants, but they had to be given as loans. And I know that a lot of financial people, both on the side of those who were making the loans and those who were receiving the loans, were maybe still are just a little bit nervous about whether the loans will be forgiven, whether they will be wiped clean from the books. That's one of the ways we use that term, forgiveness. There's another way we use the term forgiveness. There's a popular car insurance commercial that's been out for, I don't know, a few weeks, at least maybe perhaps a few months, that talks about accident forgiveness. Now, that doesn't mean you're forgiven by the other person that you have an accident with necessarily. What they mean to say is that they have structured their payment plan in such a way that for your first accident, it's not counted against you. You are, in a sense, forgiven of that accident. I remember one of the first times I thought really deeply about forgiveness was in high school. I had a lot of friends who were part of the Roman Catholic Church, and occasionally on a Friday afternoon, we would be in school, and they would say, you know, Jackie, we're, we're getting ready to go to confession so we can get forgiveness for the sins that we plan to commit later on tonight. Now, I'm not sure if they were serious about that. I hope they weren't. I suspect some of them were. But that begins to get at the heart of why we need to talk about what Christian forgiveness is all about. Biblically speaking, what is forgiveness? Is it, is it just like a blank check that God has written and we can draw on it whenever we want to without regard to consequences? Is it, as my friends would say in their maybe joking manner, something you can count on for what you plan to do in the future? Well, let's look at one passage of many, of course, in the Scripture that talk about forgiveness, the passage that was just read for us uh, from the Gospel according to Luke. Jesus is preparing to leave the disciples, and he says to the disciples, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now, let's be sure. Forgiveness is a huge part of what the Christian message is all about. Forgiveness is, is a crucial part of the transaction that occurs as a person comes before the Lord. It's something that's been a major concern of God's people from the beginning of time. Forgiveness is important. Forgiveness is real. Forgiveness is part of what God came to accomplish for us in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God offers us His love. We call it prevenient grace in old-fashioned theological terms. God offers us His love before we almost even know there is a God. He offers us His love before we know that we need to turn to God to receive that love. And in that love, God offers us forgiveness. True forgiveness can happen only because of the gracious gift of God. That is solid. That's real. The problem, though, is that the church took that idea of forgiveness and, and ran with it maybe too far or took it into places where it was never meant to go. The church, historically over time, and I think all of us, even as individuals, begin to twist that idea of forgiveness so that it works in our favor alone. That's part of what the human problem is as we follow the Lord. We look for shortcuts. We look for side pathways. We look for ways of, of doing things our own way and not the way that God established. And so to hear some preachers tell it, to hear some Christian traditions tell it, all you really need to be a Christian 
is to accept forgiveness from Jesus, and then that's it. That's all that it takes. Maybe all you need to do is sign a little card that says, I have welcomed Jesus into my life and I accept forgiveness of sins. And, and it's like having your ticket punch. It's like having your insurance policy all paid up way in advance so that you'll get to heaven. And then, because you're forgiven, then you can go on living your life any old way you please. Live the easy life today. Who cares? Let's plan to sin tonight because we know we're already forgiven. Can you imagine Jesus saying, I have come to die for you so that you can flippantly keep on living in your old disastrous and destructive ways while you're here, and then because you count on my forgiveness, you can just barely make it into heaven by the skin of your teeth when you die. Is that what Jesus said? Can you hear Jesus saying, I died so that you could get a free ride? Now again, God's forgiveness is offered as a free gift from God. Make no mistake about that. We cannot earn God's forgiveness. We can never deserve God's forgiveness. But then what do we do with God's forgiveness? If you actually read the record of the scripture and take seriously everything Jesus had to say, you'll realize that the gospel has much more to say than just that God forgiveness, that God forgives us, that, that, that heaven awaits us someday. Just live however you want to, and later on you'll be okay. We need to look at another word that Luke uses. Another word that Jesus said, another word that maybe is not quite so easy, quite so comfortable. Jesus said, preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's one of those other words where we begin to get confused. We begin to water down the meaning over time to make it easier on us, we think. We think repentance is something as simple as saying, I'm sorry, I repent, and then accepting God's forgiveness, and then going on the way we've been living. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is actually turning around and going a different direction. Repentance involves a, a sincere change of heart and change of mind so that we begin to follow Jesus' way and not our own way. The beautiful thing of forgiveness is that it frees us from the past so that our repentance actually means something. Think of a ball and chain tied to your leg. I hope none of you have ever had that experience. I never have, never want to. But think of a ball and chain. Think of having that ball and chain tied around your leg and you say, you know, I want to walk a different direction now, but you still have to drag that heavy weight behind you. Forgiveness frees you of that. But it doesn't mean you don't start walking a different way. That's where we need to look at other passages of Scripture that illuminate some of the deeper meanings of what's going on here. Let's look at the passage from John. Now, I know in the story that Jesus tells, Jesus talking about a shepherd and sheep and thieves coming in, all kinds of interesting things. We can't focus on every detail of that story today. But let's look for a moment at the, at the central thing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the shepherd and the sheep. Jesus says that the shepherd is, is the gate for the sheep. Now, in, unless you've ever practiced first century sheep herding techniques, you wouldn't know this. But in the ancient world, shepherds would build from, from stones and from, from earth and from bushes. They would, they would build a corral of sorts, a berm. And that's where they would put their sheep safely at night. But of course, they had to have a gate 
they wouldn't build a wooden gate. What would happen is once the shepherd had the sheep inside the safety of that enclosure, then the shepherd literally would lie down across that opening to sleep and to make sure that no sheep got out and that no predators got in. The shepherd was the gate. Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the way that you get in to the protection of God, and I'm the way that you get out for the nurture and the sustenance of God. That's really who the shepherd is. The shepherd who's the, is the one who, who ensures that the sheep are taken care of, that they're fed, that they're watered, that they're protected from wolves, that they're protected from thieves. And of course, Jesus is not just talking about shepherds and sheep. He's talking about us. He's talking about the fact that, that he is the shepherd, that he as God present with us is the one who is actively involved in every moment of our lives to bless us, to care for us, to protect us, to nourish us, to feed us. That's what God offers to us in his forgiveness, is to say that we can move away from being like sheep who are wandering around with no shepherd and probably being stolen or eaten by predators or starving to death. We can follow the good shepherd who is going to give us the good life now. That's a possibility for us. It's made real by God's forgiveness. And so what biblical faith is about, what true Christianity is about, is repentance and forgiveness that leads to righteous life, that leads to holy life, that leads to life with the continual presence of God to bless us, to direct us, to bring us along in that pathway that we have decided to follow when we repented and changed direction. Now, I know I've used the terms righteous and holy and all that sort of thing, and I know people interpret those in, in many different ways, and some people think that that means you're going to live a dull, boring life. But actually what it means is that you're going to live life the way God created life, and it's the best way to live life. A life that becomes freed from our addictions to to anger and, and lust and, and, and power and, and our addictions to always having our own way. It's a way of life that's called righteous because it's right. It's the way it's meant to be, and it's the best thing for us, the happiest thing for us. God's given us that in the Ten Commandments. That's the fundamental message from God about how to live the right life, the good life. And then, of course, many things flow from out of those Ten Commandments about how it is that we can live once we have repented and accepted God's forgiveness. I have something else in worship with me today. Our friend... Bob Fry, one of the members of the church, is a master gardener. And a few weeks ago, Bob said, Jack, I've got one of my pomegranate trees that's getting ready to produce. They're almost ripe. Would you like some pomegranates? I said, you bet I would. And the reason I want pomegranates is because of what they mean in Jewish and Christian tradition. In Jewish tradition, because pomegranates grow all over the Middle East, in Jewish tradition, the pomegranate has 613 seeds that stand for the 613 laws or commandments that are actually in the Torah. For Jews, a pomegranate reminds them of the gift that God has given us of knowing how it is we can live a successful, happy, peace-filled life the way that God meant life to be. Christians adopted that tradition in some sense, but, but for slightly different reasons. Let me show you what the inside of a pomegranate looks like. I'm sure most of you have seen pomegranates, you've eaten pomegranates. Pomegranates are filled with deep red seeds, and that reminded Christians of the gift that Jesus gave us of his blood. 
When you pop open a pomegranate from the outside, you don't see much, but then you get to the inside, sweet, wonderful juice. It reminds us of the fruitfulness and the beauty and the joy of life. Pomegranates are everywhere in the Middle East, and they're everywhere in the imagery and the art and and the poetry of the Middle East. The pomegranate was one of the primary symbols on ancient Jewish coins. Pomegranate juice is still drunk at the time of the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, which was just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. A pomegranate is a symbol of the righteous, holy, good, successful, fruitful life here and now. And that's the kind of life that you and I are offered as God forgives us and then leads us along his righteous pathways. So here's the point. To accept forgiveness from God without then moving on into the righteous life that God designed as the good life is not to understand or even truly to accept forgiveness. God loves us too much to allow us to remain in the dysfunctional lives that we have as we sin. And God welcomes us to learn more and more how to live in his righteous way. Do we ever get there? Not completely, of course, but we can get closer. The Apostle Paul spoke of this dynamic as he wrote to the church in Rome, and he put it so beautifully. In chapter 6 of his letter to the Romans, he said, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There it is newness of life. That's what we want, and that's what God offers to us here and now, beginning now, continuing through the rest of our lives on this earth, and then continuing, in some sense, in a seamless fashion, on into eternal life with God forever. That's what the Christian life is. Don't sell yourself short Don't think that you have to wander around following your own way of life and giving up your life to whatever sinful passions and sinful ideas and disastrous, destructive things there are. God offers his forgiveness and then his power to you to begin to learn a new way. That's really what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus' death and sacrifice in order to remove the stain of guilt from us. It reminds us that it cost the life of God himself, in a sense, to accomplish our forgiveness. We trust that to give us eternal life, but friends, it also gives us abundant life now. Can you and I presume to accept the gift of forgiveness without also accepting the command and the call and the offer of this new life. That's what we celebrate in this supper. So let's move to the table now. Let's remember that Jesus invites everyone to come to his table, to receive God's forgiveness, to receive God's love, and to receive God's offer of his involvement in every moment of our lives, that then blesses us to live with peace, to live with with joy, to live lives that are full of justice and honor and truth, lives that are full of compassion and generosity and service, lives that reflect the perfect life that we one day will have in heaven, but that can begin right now. That's what Jesus offers. And so ministering in his name, I invite you to come to the table and ministering in his name, I remind us that on the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread, and after he gave thanks to God, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's take the bread together.
In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the symbol of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the saving death, the forgiveness and renewal of Jesus' life until he comes again. Let's drink together. In Christ there is no east or west, in him no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. In him shall true hearts everywhere their high communion find. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you as we always do as we come to this table that you prepare for us and that you welcome us to. We thank you for giving yourself, for giving your life to us, for giving your words, for giving your continued leadership and, and presence and encouragement and direction. We thank you for this supper that that nourishes our souls with the knowledge of your forgiveness, with the offer of new life, with the actual spiritual power that comes from you to begin to walk in those pathways that are filled with peace, filled with joy, filled with love, filled with the power to reach out to a hurting world and minister to that world in your name. Fill us and strengthen us not just for our sakes, but for your sake and for the sake of your kingdom that is coming into the whole world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You might want to go out this week and uh, buy yourself a couple of pomegranates, munch on them, and as you do, 
remember that God is offering to all of us, because of his gracious and forgiving love, a new life, a way of life that's filled with the strength and power of his presence, the kind of life that, that Jesus led, that God says we can too. Whatever you choose to do, do this. Always remember that the Lord is blessing you. The Lord is keeping you. The Lord is making his face to shine upon you. He's looking at you. He's welcoming you into his life so that you too can have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Amen.